This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Amen. And I love what David said. I, will, I was glad when they said unto me, let's go unto the house of the Lord. We're glad you're here this morning. Luke chapter 10, as we continue our series through the gospel of Luke, particularly looking at this gospel from the aspect of what do we learn from this about being a servant of the Lord or serving the Lord. And so I want to do something maybe a little bit strange, not strange for Jeff, but strange for what you might be used to. We're actually going to start at the end of chapter 10 and work our way back to the beginning because the first couple of passages in Luke chapter 10 at the end are the more familiar ones. And as I was preparing for the message today, that was not the part of the chapter that God wanted me to concentrate on with you this morning. He wants me to concentrate on the first part of the chapter, but there's some really good stuff in these last par par parts of the chapter that we do need to build a foundation for what the early part of the chapter deals with. And most of these will be familiar to you if you've been a Christian and know the Bible at all. The first one found in verses 38 through 42 is the story of Mary and Martha, the one where Jesus and his, his little band of disciples are invited into the house and, and Martha is busy trying to make a big dinner for Jesus and all of of his, uh, his disciples, and, and yet she finds as she's in the kitchen sort of slaving away, as they say, she's looking in and she sees her sister Mary just sitting at Jesus' feet, and the more she works in the kitchen by herself without Mary's help, she continues to get more and more exasperated and frustrated, and she bursts into the room where Jesus is, and she basically goes up to him and says, you know, Lord, won't you do something about this and tell my sister to get out there in the kitchen with me and help me prepare this meal? And, of course, Jesus said, Martha, Martha, I can tell by just your countenance and, and what you're saying and all of that that you're, you're troubled about many things. But then he says this in verse 42. One thing is needed one thing is necessary and mary has chosen the best part it will not be taken away from her what do we learn in this story about mary and martha well what we what we don't learn is that martha was a servant and mary wasn't that's not what we learn mary was a servant too but what we learn is this at the heart of all service and ministry for the lord there must be a devotion to Christ. So we must be worshipers first who make time to sit at the feet of Jesus. That's where all service and ministry must start is actually at the feet of Jesus. We are to serve, we are to minister. God calls us to serve, but we are to do so out of the overflow of our own personal fellowship with Jesus. If we're not doing that, we'll get to the same place that Martha got. And that is we will begin to start going downhill spiritually very quickly. And even if we are serving, our attitude will begin to tank. And, and, and we will begin to have a really bad attitude towards serving. If we don't keep sitting at the feet of Jesus first, 
before we go out and serve. Worship must be the foundation of service. Spending time in intimacy and in communion and fellowship with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ has got to be where it all starts. Otherwise, we will get to that very bad place that Martha did where she was literally serving the Lord, if you will, but she was doing so with such a terrible attitude. Okay? You and I need to always start out our service and ministry at the Lord's feet. Amen. Then, second, you have the very familiar story of the Good Samaritan in verses 25 through 37. What I want to say about this is this. We must start with being worshipers if we are to serve the Lord, but then we are going to move into, as we spend time with the Lord, learning what it means to be a neighbor a neighbor. In fact, Jesus actually asked this question of the Pharisee uh, that this story was built around and for when he says in verse 36, after sharing the story of the Good Samaritan, which of these three do you think became a neighbor to the man? Why does Jesus say that? Well, if you and I are starting out our life, our day, our week, our month, if we are making it a very intentional priority of our life to sit at Jesus' feet, one of the other results of that will not only be that we will be able to serve at a higher level, at a spiritually more healthy level, and that our attitude will be a great one along with our quality of service, but Jesus will begin to shape our heart to be like his heart. Okay, that, that's part of the motivation of spending time with the Lord is the Lord then has the opportunity that we give him by choosing as Mary did, and it is a choice that you and I make. God doesn't force himself on us. Mary chose the best part that as we sit at the feet of Jesus, he begins to shape our heart and align our heart to his heart. And that's, what the Good Samaritan modeled for us in the story. That, that's what he was an illustration, an example of, because the other two sort of religious people that Jesus very intentionally picked out as part of the story looked at this poor man who had been beaten up and robbed and left by the side of the road, and they were like, oh, I feel so bad for the guy, but they continued to pass by. But the Bible tells us, and Jesus tells us, in uh, Luke 10, look at verse 33. But the Samaritan who was traveling came to where he injured, the injured man was, and when he saw him, he felt compassion for him. That's God. God feels for us. He's moved by the things that touch our lives and affect us. That's why he even calls his people the apple of his eye because that part of the eye and the eye is maybe one of the most sensitive organs in the body and it doesn't take much you all especially that can do that contact lens thing as you can see I don't do that <laughs> very sensitive and what God is teaching us there is I'm very sensitive towards you 
Now, you may have come here today and feel like God's a million miles away and very distant and, 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 all, and very uh, uncaring and all of that. That's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible has compassion on us. Amen. He's moved by the things that affect our lives. He's touched with the feelings of our infirmities. He's a feeling God. And so the Bible goes on to tell us that not only did he feel compassion for him, but then Jesus points out in verse 37, he also showed or literally practiced mercy towards this poor man that was beaten up and robbed and left by the side of the road. It's one thing to feel for somebody else, to sympathize and empathize with what they're going through. It's a whole other thing to take that feeling, to take that emotion and actually be able to have the resources and then do something about it to literally help. And God also does that. The greatest demonstration of that is that God saw a world in desperate need spiritually because of the entrance of sin into the world. And God didn't just look down from heaven and go, oh, I feel so bad for those people. Now that sin has entered the world, look at all the damage and destruction that sin is doing in their lives to themselves and that they're doing to others and others are doing to them because of sin. But I'm just going to sit up here in my comfortable heaven where I am glorified and, and where I'm a sort of aloof to it all and I'll just keep feeling bad for them. No, God sent his one and only son to this earth in order to assume a human form so that he could literally flesh out how much he loved us and he was willing to be obedient to the Father's plan for him, even obedience unto death, a death on a cross, and he bore the sin of all the world upon himself, took it upon himself. That is practicing mercy, my friends. Amen. And then Jesus said to the Pharisee or lawyer, go and do the same. In other words, first service must start with worship at the feet of Jesus like Mary because we worship out of the overflow of our time with God or else our attitude and even the quality of our service will begin to go downhill very quickly. Maybe today some of you are serving the Lord and you needed to be reminded, i got to keep serving the Lord, but I've got to make it more of a priority to make sure that I'm serving him out of my time with him because sometimes we can get so busy serving the Lord that we forget the Lord we're serving. But then second, we see here that as we spend time at the Lord's feet and he begins to shape our heart and align our heart to be like his, then we go from being a worshiper like Mary to a neighbor like the Good Samaritan who is looking for opportunities all around us to be a neighbor, to, to practice mercy on those around us that God brings into our orbit and to show compassion towards others, to not just feel bad about the things they're going through, but literally be willing to open up our life and say, Lord, do you want me to be part of the solution here? Do, do you want me to 
to enter in, if they're willing to let me in and let me be part of pouring out your love and, and your compassion and, and your mercy upon them? Amen. Is that what you would have me to do? And can I just tell you, from my own perspective, it doesn't take long. In fact, you and I could even just look to the right and left of us right here in this auditorium and probably find somebody real close to us that could use some compassion and mercy right now. Amen. And it's certainly, once you get outside this auditorium and you go out there in that cold, cruel world, all you have to do is begin to look up and look around and you see people in need all over the place. I run into them every day and I'm not even looking for them. I don't go to them, they come to me. They see Jeff over there somewhere around the East Valley, either meeting somebody or having a meeting or, you know, studying or something and I have my Bible open and just complete strangers don't even know me. God just brings them in. But I got to tell you, I, I've got to be open <laughs> to not being so, you know, consumed with what I wanted to get done that day to not be able to look up and to look around and go, God, is there somebody here that just needs a smile, a kind word, an encouragement, a reminder that I'm praying for them or something? Because there is need all around us. Amen. And as God begins to shape our heart to be like his, it won't be that we begin to keep living our lives where it's all about us and we're so self-absorbed, but where we start to look out for others rather than just ourselves. And that's the Good Samaritan. So serving starts with being worshipers like Mary and then continues on learning to have a heart of compassion and mercy like the Good Samaritan. But now I want to take us back to the beginning of the chapter, chapter 10, where we also learn something else in this chapter about serving the Lord, and that is that we are the Lord's ambassadors sent to represent him in this world. And that's what the first 24 verses is all about. And that's where God wants us to really focus on for the time we have left this morning. I want to share a few principles with you out of the first few verses, and then we're going to come back to verse 2 a little bit later on. I'm not going to skip that verse. We're going to come back there. But first of all, look at verse 1. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. Several things in that verse I want to remind us of as far as serving the Lord. First of all, notice the Lord appointed it means he revealed to them. He showed them clearly, this is what I want you to do, and this is directly from me. It is so freeing, and it gives us so much confidence as we serve the Lord when we know this is something that the Lord has appointed me to do. Amen. That, that I'm doing this because I know the Lord has clearly shown me this is from him. This isn't my idea. This isn't what some other Christian thought I should be doing to serve the Lord. This isn't even what I thought I should be doing to serve the Lord. I'm doing this. I'm doing this role, this responsibility. I'm doing this in this local church, whatever. I'm doing this because the Lord appointed me to do that. That's got to be a, a part of it, you see. 
And, and so many Christians, it's like, I don't really know what the Lord wants me to do. Clearly, he hasn't revealed it to me that all I can tell you is keep going back and sitting at his feet. Because somewhere along the line, you spend enough time at Jesus' feet and you'll start to get a clarity as to what Jesus has appointed you to do in that season. It's out of then that clarity of being appointed by the Lord to serve him in some certain way that then we come to the next principle. And that is, notice, he did not send them out ever alone. He sent them out in a pattern of pairs, two by two. God never meant for us to minister or serve by ourselves. We are to always go in pairs. The passage in Ecclesiastes 4, two are better than one. All through the New Testament, you have teams, especially of two, going out. Why? Well, one reason is because you always then have that mutual support and encouragement that you can give each other, you see. And because we're going to see that we are in a spiritual battle, that, that we have a soldier, if you will, for the Lord watching our back as we watch theirs. God never meant for us to serve him and minister alone. And, and part of the problem with many Christians today is they're out there trying to do their own thing without a partner or somebody to come alongside of them and to do it with them. That's not how God designed it. And that may be one of the reasons why you're struggling because God wants you to be a partner to someone or wants someone to be a partner to you in some way so that you have that person that you all are doing this together as a team. Then notice verse 3. Again, I'm going to come back to verse 2. He says, go... And I'm sending you out like lambs surrounded by wolves. Jesus would not be a good recruiter, would he? <laughs> On a human level. Here's my appointment or assignment for you, and can I just tell you, I'm guaranteeing you obstacles and opposition in your path. Because something, again, that you and I as Christians must continually be reminded of is that we are serving the Lord, but we're not serving the Lord in friendly territory on this earth. He literally has sent us out as his representatives into enemy territory. This world is not the Lord's as it, as it is being lived out right now. This world is under Satan's influence primarily. Now, Jesus is building an invisible kingdom here through people like you and I who've given our hearts to him, but the majority of this world has totally either rejected the thought of God, the existence of God, the place of God in their lives. They want nothing to do with God, and yet we are to go out as his ambassadors and represent him in enemy territory. It's not going to be easy. And I don't want any Christian from our church to get the idea that when we accept serving the Lord, that somehow it's easy. It's never going to be easy. As he said, we are lambs of his surrounded by wolves. 
But here's what I do want to point out. And this is why Nicole and I thought that the song we sang this morning as part of our praise and worship would be so appropriate. And that is, we may feel surrounded at times, and we may feel things pressing in upon us, but here's the deal. The Bible says, you are from God, little children, and greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. The Bible teaches us that the angel of the Lord surrounds the Lord's loyal followers and he delivers them. And I love the story in 2 Kings chapter 6. If you know it, you'll recall it with me. Elisha, the prophet, the great prophet, has been sent out. And Elisha has this servant named Gehazi. And I can just picture what this little servant looks like, okay? Maybe when I get to heaven and meet him, I'll go, I'm Gehazi. What are you talking about? <laughs> Gehazi comes running up to Elisha and says, Elisha, we're doomed. I mean, he couldn't be any more Eeyore-ish than you could imagine. He's like, I'm looking around, Elisha, and all I count is you and me. And then I'm looking around at the hills around us, and, and Elisha, we're literally surrounded by the entire Syrian army. What are we going to do? And Elisha immediately starts praying to God, said, God, open up the eyes of my servant and let him see what's surrounding us. And the Bible says that the Lord opened up the eyes of his servant Gehazi, and when he looked around at the hills, he saw an army, a spiritual army around him of chariots and horses of the Lord, that the Lord gave him spiritual vision to be able to see. You see, Elisha and his servant, they may look like they're surrounded, but God was surrounding them. Amen. God wants his people to understand this, that yes, we are surrounded at times and pressed upon at times, but God's always got us. And that anything that enters our life and touches us, first of all, has to get through the loving, providing, protecting hands of Almighty God. It cannot touch us before it goes through Him. And if it goes through Him, then He allows it for a greater purpose than you and I could understand. And then he says in verse 4, do not carry a money bag, a traveler's bag, or sandals and greet no one on the road. The principle is simply this, stay focused and don't get distracted. Travel light, as we talked about last week. Don't, don't get so caught up in the things, in the temporal, physical things. And I do want to point this out. Many would look at the last phrase of verse 4 and say, isn't Jesus teaching his followers to be a little on the rude side? Don't even greet those. In other words, you know, no. He's not saying don't be polite and don't say hi to somebody when you see them. This was, in that culture, very common to get caught up for hours being pulled away from something and, and literally getting sort of consumed with someone as you go. And Jesus simply saying, I can't have you get that easily distracted if you're on assignment from me. 
I'm never asking my followers to be rude. I'm not asking them not to be polite and not to actually greet people and say hi and all that. I'm saying, but you, you got to be conscious of making sure you're not being distracted always either, or else you can't get done what I've appointed you to do. And can I say this? Our spiritual enemy, the devil, is a master distractor. He will do everything he can to come into the lives of servants of the Lord who have taken on an appointment or assignment from the Lord and he'll throw everything he can at getting us to go this way and that way while we're continuing to try to trudge towards doing the Lord's will. And you and I have to learn to stay focused and to say no to many other things so that we can do the one thing God wants us to do at a high effectiveness. One of my mentors told me this years ago, and I've shared it with you before, and I think it's appropriate to share it again. He says, when we get to the end of our lives, the destiny of our life, how we lived our life, the trajectory of our life, and where we ended up in life will be more defined by the things we said no to than the things we said yes to. Because there's so many things in this world, more and more and more is added every week, or pretty much of things that you and I can get caught up in that keeps us from serving the Lord and really doing what he has asked us to do. That's where Jesus is coming from. So I don't want to take time this morning to go through the specific things that they did, but he sent them out. So notice, let's pick up the story then in verse 17 where they come back. The 72 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. There's nothing like serving the Lord and ministering for the Lord, knowing his hand is upon you, being aware of his favor and blessing and knowing that God is using us, us, to bring glory to him and to take more ground spiritually in this world. That, nothing like it. And so that's why they were filled with joy. I want to share with you, my friends, and I hope this will encourage you to serve us, there's a special joy for the servants of the Lord. Amen. When you begin to serve the Lord, doing what the Lord wants you to do in his power and strength and, and in the place that he wants you to do it, and his hand is upon you, his favor and blessing, there is nothing more fulfilling or satisfying than that. It will bring joy to your life. And so I'm just telling you, you want more joy in your life? Start serving the Lord. Start at his feet. Let him shape your heart, but keep serving the Lord because it brings a special joy with it when we serve the Lord. Then Jesus says something maybe very strange and out of place and random. He says to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Literally, Jesus, I'm watching Satan fall. See, what Jesus here is teaching us is that the fall of Satan was not a one-time in the distant past thing when he fell from his place in glory with God down to earth where he primarily makes his residence today. No, no, no. No, it's a progressive thing. It's a process that Satan is going through in his fall. He, he's going to go from one of the highest places in the universe, maybe the anointed cherub that the Bible talks about, maybe being one of two archangels, Michael being the other one, all the way down to eventually he's going to be cast forever in the lake of fire. That's a far fall, right? But notice what Jesus is saying. 
he's associating the process or progress of Satan's fall with the success that his followers had in serving him. So he's teaching us, and this should encourage all of us, that I can use you, my people, my church, to literally take ground from Satan, to, to make inroads into his kingdom, you see. So when Jesus said, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, he wasn't just saying, we're going to hold out against the attack. of No, we're, we're going we're to go into the gates of hell themselves and we're going we're to take some spoils. Jesus wants to use this church and he wants to use your life and my life to continue to take away from Satan and bring it over to God to make enemies of God the friends of God. And God wants to use his people to do that. Jesus saw that at that moment. Then he says in verse 19, look, I've given you authority to tread on snakes and scorpions and on the full force of the enemy, and nothing will hurt you. In other words, as, as long as I've got this plan and purpose for you, I'll watch over you. I'll protect you. That's my responsibility. I hope we all hear that today. Nothing can hurt us unless it first comes through God. Amen. But he also says, look, whatever I ask of you, I will enable and equip you for as well. I'll give you the authority. I'll give you the power. It doesn't come from us. It comes from him. So whatever God is asking of us, as we said last week, he will make us more than adequate for it because he will give us everything we need. But then he says this. Nevertheless, verse 20, do not rejoice that the spirits, the demonic spirits, submitted to you. I mean, that, that's all well and good that that made you feel good and gave you that sense of, of fulfillment and satisfaction but I want you to be grounded, not in seeing God use you as you serve him. I want the grounding of your life to be this. Rejoice that your name stand written in heaven. Amen. In other words, Jesus saying, here's where I want my servants to be always as they serve me. Yes, find joy and find fulfillment and find satisfaction in knowing God is using your life to bring glory to him and to bring others into his kingdom. But never get over your own salvation as you do it. Never get over being saved. Never get over being forgiven. Never get over being called a child of God. At the end of the day, we can sort of sum it all up this way. And I know this is pretty simple, but this is the way Jeff Royce looks at it. We are all great sinners, and yet we have a much greater Savior. Amen. That pretty much sums it up. And Jesus says, you want to find joy in serving me every day? Never get over that you're a child of God. Your sins have been forgiven. You've been transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of Jesus, the Son of God. You've been given the presence of the Holy Spirit. You've been surrounded with brothers and sisters in Christ in my church. You have a forever home that I'm preparing for you. And if I prepare that place, I'm coming again so that where I am, there you can be. A home forever in glory. 
Never get over being saved. And I love what Jesus says too. He says, and rejoice that your names stand written in heaven. In other words, when God writes our name, it is final. It is forever. It cannot be erased. So let me ask you a question this morning. Does your name stand written in heaven right now? Because, folks, before we ever begin to really explore serving the Lord, you got to be saved. You got to know the Lord. I mean, you can try to serve the Lord in some way, in, 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 your, in the way you think, without having a personal relationship with the Lord, but it won't get very far because it's serving the Lord. And the only way to serve the Lord is to know Him personally, intimately to know how much he loves you because we're serving out of love, not out of duty and obligation like many people do today. That's religion. Religion is I do what I do because I feel like I have to, because it's my duty to do it. I'm obliged to do it. I'm expected to do it. No, for the Christian who knows the Lord and has been loved by the Lord and saved by the Lord, everything we do to serve the Lord is out of our love for God because out of all the love that he's had for us. Totally different paradigm. And Jesus here is saying, do you know your name's written there? That's a question I want us all to answer because guess what? Someday, whether you're saved or you're not saved, when you go into eternity, I believe God's going to allow you to remember this day. I do. I believe you will remember this day after you die. You will remember being here. And especially, especially if you were here this day, you heard God speaking to you today, urging you to come and accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, and you said no. You will remember this day. Do not go out into eternity having been here this day knowing how much God loves for you and what he's done for you to save your soul, to put you on the right track, to bring you into his family forever. Don't miss this opportunity to have your name written by God in heaven. And that you know then when you die, because we all will, you know exactly where you're going. Not because you wrote your name there, not because someone else wrote your name there, but because you know God said, I'll write your name there when you accept my son Jesus as your Savior. Amen. Let's go back and end with verse 2, though. Why do I want to end with this verse? It's because Jesus, in the midst of this instruction, says the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Literally, there is a labor shortage spiritually. He said, I look around, Jesus, I look around and the spiritual need of this world is so great, but there aren't enough servants, there aren't enough workers for all the spiritual need. I think you and I wouldn't have to think too too long and too hard to agree with that. You just don't have to look too far to see spiritual need all around you. In fact, maybe even in you. 
Spiritual need is all over the place, and yet there just aren't enough servants who are willing to sort of get their hands dirty and, and do what the Lord is asking them and calling them to do and to be part of this spiritual labor force and spiritual workforce to make a difference in this world for the Lord. So what's his prescription? Jesus turns to his followers. Can you imagine his eyes riveted to them as he says these words? Therefore, ask, pray the Lord of the harvest to send, literally draw out workers into his harvest. And then verse 3, the first word, go. I don't want you to miss that. Because it's not an either or here Jesus is teaching. It's a both and. And I want you to get this today because I want to call us to this today because I believe this is what God wants in this place today. God is saying, okay, if we truly recognize that the spiritual need is greater than the people that are stepping up to serve the need, then what do we do about it? As Christians, the first thing we do is pray. We begin to pray for God to draw more people into service. And it's not just a one and done. It's, a, it's, a, it's an ongoing, that's going to be part of my prayer life is, God, would you begin to draw people into service? Now, here's one of the reasons why God does this. Because many times, not all the time, many times, if he can get us to pray about something, we become an answer to that prayer. You get that? A lot of times if God gets us to start praying about it, then God can, again, shape our heart to the point it's like, okay, God, I'll go. So God says, pray. You don't have to acknowledge yet, but I'm asking, not only if there's those here today that do not know for sure that your name's written in heaven, what are you going to do about it? But I need to ask this question as well. Would there be those today that would either commit or recommit themselves to this prayer, that they will make it a regular part of their prayer life to pray to God to draw out more Christians into serving. But then secondly, it's not, well, we've got a group of Christians who are praying and then a group of Christians who are going. No, no. Notice what Jesus did here. He said, now as you're praying to the Lord of the harvest to get more workers... You go. Get, get moving. Start moving. Do something. Serve. Go. So then the question is, will there be those of you that as you're praying, you'll also be willing to go? Or if you are serving, to keep on serving, to keep on moving, to get moving. That's the challenge before us today. Why? Why? And, and why is it so urgent? Because if Jesus 2,000 years ago said the harvest is plentiful but the labors are few, how much greater is the spiritual need today than it was 2,000 years ago? First of all, the world's population <laughs> has greatly increased in 2,000 years. So there's just more people. So obviously where there's more people, there's more need. And yet Jesus continues to see a shrinking group of Christians who are willing to work and be part of the answer for the great spiritual need. 
He wants to ask his people here today, would you be willing to pray and to go? Would you be willing to pray and to go? Could we stand? Amen. God, I'm excited about what you are doing in this place today. I sense you're moving. I sense you're working. But I also, I also sense the enemy here trying to, to block things happening as well. And yet I take an encouragement from that because that means even he recognizes, God, you're on the move. You're working. You're moving. People are wrestling with things in their life. That's good. And God, we want to end today by declaring out to you that, that we want to go. We want to pray. We want to serve. We understand the need. And we at the Oasis Church, we want to be part of the answer to that need. We've got to stop looking around expecting other people to go whenever, Lord, maybe we just need to step up and step out and need to be, begin praying like, like never before and, and going ourselves because the need is all around us. And Jesus is coming. And the world's not going to get any better. So, Lord, your church needs to rise up. So, Lord, I just pray that all the barriers, all the walls that may have been erected here around people's hearts as they walked into this place, before they walked in, even maybe during the service today, would be torn down. All the strongholds, the bondage that people are in here today would be cast off because, Lord, you want to release us from that. You want to set us free. And, God, that you would truly do a work here today. These things I pray in Jesus' name, amen. We need more to pray and go. That's what Jesus said 2,000 years ago, and the need is still there. God is saying to the Oasis Church, I need you to pray, I need you to go, because the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Let's be an answer to Jesus today. Say, God, I'm just one, but I am one. And I'll do my part, God. I'll do my part, because that's all God asks. He doesn't ask us to do someone else's part. He just asks us to do our part. And everybody, every one of us has a part. Amen? Amen.